podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro. Podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their reactions to Liverpool 2, Everton 0. We did a win in the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. That's all that matters really, Dave, at the end of the day. Um, we've had a little preamble chat here about whether we were excellent or Everton were awful doesn't really matter and yet there was at least enough of a decent uh, performance there for us to take some joy from numerous aspects of tonight. Yeah, we were okay tonight. We were okay. Let's let's not get carried away. It's a massive improvement on the shit that's been served up in recent weeks, but we weren't good tonight. We had a couple of good spells in the game. Overall, we were okay. This was a very strange game of football, but it was a strange game of football even before the game itself took place because I asked the question today on Twitter, was this the biggest derby that we'd played under Klopp? Because both sides were desperate for the three points. Us, because we need to get our season back on track. We need to get back in the race for top four. And now we find ourselves... Nine points behind Newcastle with the game in hand and the game against Newcastle coming up, which if we were to win and then win our game in hand, all of a sudden we're only three points behind Newcastle and bang in the mix. They needed the three points because they're 18th in the league and facing relegation. This is certainly the worst that both sides have been at the same time since Klopp took over. Even if you look at our first season under Jürgen, we were fairly poor. But for them, they were pretty okay. Other than that, it's been either we're great and they're okay or we're great and they're garbage. Even in 2021, when the COVID shit happened, we were in a mess. They were okay at the time. This is the first time both sides came in where you thought, well, we're we're bad and they're really bad. And I think there was a lot of hand-wringing before the game, including by myself, about what might happen with their midfield against our midfield. Because our midfield has been garbage all season. And our midfield is very one-paced and not exactly the most physical midfield. And their lads ran all over Arsenal a week ago. And their whole team just physically bullied Arsenal. And I think the concern going in tonight was, what if they do that to us? I thought in the first half they just they they turned up quite flat. We were quite flat. There was some moments where a game of football threatened to break out, but up until our goal, it kind of was a bit like watching tinkers throwing bottles at each other or something. 
<laughs> like you were watching him more out of curiosity than anything else. <laughs> Oh wow, <laughs> that's the most Irish moment on a podcast ever. Uh, I I I I I agree, and I have I have one question to put to you in 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 terms of um your immediate take because it was you immediately were saying oh lads they were awful. Um, my take on on why I can't get I'm not going to get too high on this performance is on a different night we could have got mugged there. Because yeah. we did actually have a couple of defensive lapses that were bang typical of our most recent uh, uh, stuff. Uh, it was you balanced. Look at our goal, Trev. We twenty seconds before Mo Salah scores. That's it. They hit the post. Yeah, they that, hit the post. exactly. Exactly. And exactly. if that goal goes in, we can't. Like no Liverpool fan could have sat there and gone, "Oh, we're unfortunate to be behind here. We we don't deserve to be behind," because it had been a very a very poor game. It was a, a poor game of football to that point. It, it, you know, if they'd scored, you would have just gone, okay, fair enough. We score, you go, okay, fair enough. Like, it was the first real moment in the game where anything interesting happened. They hit the post, and it, it's, look, it's a super break by us, and we'll talk about it in, in a bit, but if if the Tarkovsky header goes in, we're not undeservedly behind. It's not like we were playing well up to that point. But thankfully, it works out in our favour. We get the goal. We get to half time. We get a second goal early. And then they kind of gave up. You could almost see the collective heads drop. Tarkovsky went quiet. Cody went quiet. They weren't talking out. Onana and Dekure dropped off and were coming a lot deeper trying to find the ball rather than trying to push behind our midfield that they'd been doing early in the first half. The two wingers just might as well not have been there. And with the greatest respect, that, that young lad they have up front, Ella Sims, is, is about as ready to play Premier League football as I am. And Dyche did him no favours at all throwing him in there. But like I say, once the second goal went in, it sort of felt like they gave up. And it was like, well, I don't think they've come from behind to win a game all season. I think they've come from behind once to get a point away to City. I think when the second went in, they realised we're not scoring two here. So we might as well just, just get through this as best we can and, and go again next week. Yeah, and um, led by James Tarkowski, kick as many of our lads up into the air as they can with literally no response from the referee. Jim, the good thing um, that sort of leavens any uh, realism that we we uh, it's very hard not to 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 sprinkle a little bit of of um, hold your horses over anything here, given the nature of the season so far. It would be a kind of a kind of daft and incredibly naive. But the, what does leaven that a little bit and sort of lead you to wonder about the potential for getting the season back on track was a couple of things. First of all, you see a goal for a guy, a kid who, God, he desperately needed it in Cody Gakpo. And it, it, he grew in stature in the game as as it went on as a result. You see a goal for Mo Salah. Another man who desperately needed same. Uh, you see a performance by Stefan Bacetic. And granted, yes, Everton's midfield were not what they were uh, in their previous impressive showing. But 
honestly, who cares? Because that kid was strolling around that midfield, putting in tackles, making crossfield passes, keeping things ticking over, turning into and out of trouble with the sort of gay abandon that you can only have when you're that age. These are the kind of things. Oh, and Andy Robbo winding lads up. These are all those things that we can lean into and think, all right, I'd like to see some of the Liverpool characteristics returning to this team, some of the Klopp era staples returning. And there were a few of those for us to enjoy today. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, first of all, my God, I've not been as worried about a derby game as much as I was about this one. I can't remember the last time I was this worried about a derby game because it felt like, you know, the so-called local bragging rights could go on forever because they'll probably go down and this might have been the last derby for years. But it didn't happen and we won. And it was, and we did win with like lots of signs of that Jurgen Klopp trademark team that, um, that we thought had gone. And my only, you know, my main sort of take from this is, you know, how we kind of started to remember who we were because we'd had this terrible amnesia about how good we were. And I mean, what a difference it makes when you've got a bench like that as well, where there's actually options on the bench and maybe all those plays weren't fit to start tonight, but three names on that bench that we've been dying to see um, involved, you know, in recent weeks when you think when we've had like two strikers who have both not been doing so well and trying to make, you know, fit someone in as a third and all of this stuff we've had to put up with. And it's, the, the two fullbacks being more like themselves um, makes up for the fact that in the at centre back we've not been we weren't that strong tonight. Fullback they were showing what they can do and midfield yeah definitely I saw the lines up before the game I just saw the sort of formations and I thought oh my god five in midfield from them and three from us but it won't be three because the three there'll be three players but there won't be three players because the way our midfield has been playing but. I mean, that young lad, Stefan, I mean, he, he was three players himself and then the other two sort of pitched in a little bit. And, I mean, yeah, they are bad. Everton are bad. But the way we've been since the World Cup, even the way we were before the World Cup, this season's been awful for a Liverpool fan to see the, the, the contrast from last season to this. And, you know, you've got to build on things. You've got to start getting your confidence back. You've got to start turning things around. And, I mean, my God, we, we were careering into who knows where we were heading off the edge of a cliff the way we were going and you know I think tonight hopefully we slam the brakes on you know and we can do a bit of a handbrake turn now and get back the right way because as you you know as you said we, we you know you look at games in hand you look at who we've got to play you know maybe top four's not out, out the question but the, the thing is what I want to see is if we play like we did tonight and build on the way we play tonight I think we can you know, we feel a bit better about our team. It's been embarrassing to watch these plays these last few weeks. Absolutely embarrassing. You know, it's that kind of thing you sort of, you start getting on about how much they're being paid and stuff like that because they don't deserve a penny of it. That's how it feels. They just, they've just been lackluster, but that wasn't there tonight. And yeah, I get it. It was only Everton. I get it that we weren't always great tonight and we were good, but you know, not great, but good at times. There were definitely worrying moments, but. You know, it's been it's been awful, and I'm just you know I'm glad it's turned things around. And what a team to do it against! I mean, you know, by the end the Liverpool fans were singing Divokarigi. It was it was a party atmosphere in the end, and it's not so much for the performance as as the way that it's a turnaround from where we've been and who it was against. And you know, it means a lot. It means a lot that result tonight. 
Woohoo. <laughs> Woohoo indeed. The Rafa and Divock chants were, were heartwarming, <laughs> to say the least. And look, one of the most tedious aspects for us on podcasts recently um, uh, of the Liverpool band has been analysing and talking about the team lineup because there's a couple of aspects. One is that the manager has been hampered in terms of choice. And the other is that it keeps coming back to the same. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and a license with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Inevitably quite tedious discussions. And he went today with the team. And I think what we'll do is we'll look at Liverpool last for once because I don't know how much there is to say about it. Um, I think we've kind of on various shows said all there is to say. He made his choice. He left on the bench today. Um, Harvey Elliott, who he's often started. He left James Milner on the bench, who he's often started. And probably most controversially, left Keita on the bench, who he's been starting recently. There's not a whole lot else to say. Other than that, he seems to have gone with what, what I think is nominally his best team, with the likes of Virgil, Diogo Jota and Bobby Firmino back in the squad, but not ready to start. So if you guys have anything to say about the Liverpool lineup, please feel free. But like I say, it does feel like the most um, uh, dead horses uh, to be flogging. I'm interested, and Jim, I'll start with you. I'm interested in what old earthworm muncher did with this <laughs> team tonight because i'm looking at them here and i'm listening to what the first uh, thing the very first thing at a at a, at a, at a uh, dave's mouth when we went um just before the, the mic went live and it might even have been yours as well or guys was uh, they are rubbish and you've you've said it there in your yeah they're not great they are bad but I'm looking at this lineup. Okay. So Pickford, whatever people think about him, he is what he is. You've, we, Pickford has the potential to be there in a team that's in the higher reaches of the league. Whether you like him or not, he can have a purple patch and he is what he is. Tarkovsky and Cody have been in teams that have been in sixth, seventh, eighth in the Premier League. Coleman is a, a, a solid citizen. Probably tonight may well be one of those nights where he's starting to think actually it might be the end of my time but has been a stalwart for Everton in the past uh, and they went with Mikalenko on the far side. Now you mentioned the five across the middle and in Idrissa Gay and Ducouré and Onana they had a much uh, uh, vaunted unit that was you know by your own admission giving you a couple of nightmares and Davis said the same and with McNeil I don't know, does does he flatter to deceive a bit? I thought when he came on the scene first under Daishi, I think, I thought, 
yeah, he's a real footballer there. And then it will be on the far flank, who by all reports has been one of their best players. And he decided to go with this Sims kid. Now, on his bench, Jim, he had Mason Holgate and Michael Keane, Damari Gray, who came on, and Yerry Mina. Uh, Begovic is their uh, option for goal. Neil Mopé, who's been signed and not played. Ben Godfrey, Tom Davies, who came on, and Ruben Vinegra. So talk to me a little bit about what it is you think uh, ball is and why... There was such a fall off from what had been this new manager bounce, especially the way in which their midfield performed in the previous match. I think what dice ball is usually is big bulky people who'll um, bully other teams or the, you know the sort of um, the, the sort of classic sort of big bullying northern brick built shit house centre half, not shit house as in he is a shit house built like a, a brick shit house, and against a sort of you know. Um, Latin American style players who just fall over at the, at the slightest brush of, um, you know, of, of a shirt of another player kind of thing. And that's not really what that, that team's not got them in. It's got players who can kind of, I don't know, there's the, the, are not, they're not that type of player. They're, they're not the sort of bullying type of player. And that to me is what his biggest problem is. And then, um, to have five in midfield and to spend, what felt like most of the game hoofing balls forward to the one man up front who was probably the worst the worst player on the field for them by a long way Sims um, I just think at the moment he, he doesn't really know what it is because I don't think I don't know I just don't think they're the kind of player that he is used to dealing with and um, and you're right I mean Cody's one example of a player that okay I wouldn't want him for us now I mean he was one of ours once I wouldn't I wouldn't want him for us now but at Wolves he was you know he was a star man at Wolves and he was kind of you know, one of the people that helped them stay where they were in the league and, you know, and sort of, you know, put a sort of decent show on from time to time. And, I mean, he looks a shadow of that kind of player tonight. And um I think it's pretty obvious these are not Sean Dyke players. And this is, to me, this is going to be the biggest problem now is getting them to play the way he wants to play because... I, you know, I just thought thinking of dice more than the players. We're going to be bullied off the park tonight. That's going to be the issue. The referee is going to have to be good. We're, we're going to see them falling down easily and then, you know, fouling us and we're not going to get uh, free kicks. This, this kind of game, this sort of frustration game that we've seen when we played people like Warnock and, um, you know, I'm not going poolist, you know, that kind of manager, that kind of game. Yeah. I just don't think they're the kind of players that can do that for him. They're just not that way. And, um, and you know when you look at it, there's still some money's worth on that squad. You know, for a team that's down in 18, mm. there's, there's a lot of money there. And <laughs> obviously, you come in too late to do anything about it. Even if the what, I don't even think they could though. I don't think they've got the money to do anything about it unless they make some sales. Um, yeah, I mean, I genuinely think that. I mean, last week was. It's easy to say this in hindsight, but last week was really the bounce game for them. And. You know, he's going to have some work cut out now to try and get the best out of these plays because tonight they just looked, they looked, they looked like they just didn't know what to do. They just, they just aren't his kind of players, and I think this is going to tell as the games go on. Dave, I want to get your take on on Ball as well. Uh, what you think he's trying to do there? Um, what the difference was? Was it just simply that you know characteristic new manager bounce one off or? Is there some reason why um, it, it failed to happen? Because you know the simple narrative. You know what the simple narrative will be for people who don't think too deeply about the, the game will be, um, you know, our um, 
our our midfield just was was too much for them between you know the usual cliches of 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 what we've got there the fab who's been atrocious this season and Hendo's been atrocious this season and and, and a child um what, what is it that happened uh do you think in to them today and is there anything else you want to add about that lineup and then if you do want to mention liverpool either of you will finish with that well if we consider what what Dyche, I, I disagree with Jim on, on what he says Dyche ball is. Dyche ball is not nearly as agricultural as Pulis ball or anything like that. If you think <laughs> of Sean Dyche's team at Burnley, um, the two fullbacks, he had two overlapping fullbacks, Loughton and Taylor. That's what he has at Everton. But in Jamie Coleman, he's got a lad who's, I think, 34, 35 now, who's never quite been the same since that horrendous leg break he had. And at this point in his career, really shouldn't be playing Premier League football on a, a weekly basis. But with Patterson out, they've got no choice. Connor Cody's just not a good centre-back. Connor Cody was fine at Wolves in the middle of a three, being protected. But as soon as they moved to a four, Cody got exposed. And you remember him coming to Anfield a few years ago. They played a four, and he was absolutely shocking. And as soon as Bruno Lage took over and had a look at him in a four, he decided he'd had enough. So they loan him out this season after him being in and out of the team last year. Cody's not good enough to play in a four, but they don't have a partner for Tarkovsky, who's fit at the moment. Michael Keane is probably the ideal one. But what Dyche wants is he wants two big physical centre-backs who will play a deep line and just keep things real simple. Read the game well, understand your position, understand your space, and try and play out from the back a little bit, but not at the risk of giving the ball away. We saw Cody and Tarkovsky tonight giving the ball away needlessly a few times. McNeil is his ideal left winger, but McNeil is a very inconsistent player. That's in part because of how he's been developed by Sean Dyche. It's also in part because he's spent six months working under Frank Lampard, who's the worst manager <laughs> the Premier League has seen in many years. But McNeil and... and um and Awobi are actually the ideal wide midfielders for Dyche. They're both technically sound. They're both hardworking. They can both deliver a decent ball. The problem he has is that the best player at that club is Amadou Onana. And Amadou Onana is about as far away from a Sean Dyche central midfielder as you're likely to find. Think of the midfielders he had at Burnley. Jack Cork, Ashley Westwood, and Josh Brownhill. Neat and tidy. Keep everything simple. Don't overplay. Don't leave your position. Get the ball. Give the ball. That's all they were there to do. Take the ball off the right side of midfielder. Move it to the left side of midfielder. Take the ball off the centre back. Move it to the to wide midfielders. That's all they're there. His midfielders are just facilitators. It's just. Oh, it's not, also. It's nothing. It's nothing flashy, isn't it? That's the thing. No, that's exactly it. it. They don't make you're, mistakes. You're here to survive, not to be flashy. And, and exactly, you're not there to win them the game. You're there not to lose them a game. That's basically the point of his midfielders. Whereas Onana and Dukure, and even Idris Gay, they they all want to get on the ball and make things happen and get forward and drive out of position. That's not what Daesh wants. And then up front, he likes a big one and a small one, and that's fairly. So solid and he, sometimes he puts two big ones up but ideally he wants Calvert-Lewin up front attacking crosses and someone like a Mopé playing off him in the half spaces in between the centre-backs off the centre-backs off the shoulder 
there is the makings of a Deich team there. But the problem is, it's not there in central midfield. It's there in terms of Patterson, Michaelenko. They're fine. I think Tarkovsky and Keane would be his his centre-back pairing if, if both were fully fit and in rhythm. I think he would go with Calvert-Lewin and, and Mope if the team was functioning a little bit better. And two in midfield. But I don't think he trusts any of them to play in a two-man midfield. Because Onana, like I said, he's the best player at the club and he's a very, very good player. But he wants to get forward. He wants to drive box to box, which leaves a big open space in behind. And I think that's why Dyche is playing a three at the moment. But, I mean, they ran all over Arsenal because Arsenal tried to out-football them, whereas we were more than happy to just go long. We were more than happy to just play it into Darwin, play it into Mo. Arsenal want to feed everything into Odegaard and it's all very pretty and Jacket takes up his spaces and moves the ball around and it's all very robotic and it's all very pre-planned and every single Arsenal goal is the same is the same as the last Arsenal goal because it's the same type of robotic sterile football that Man City play. And when you disrupt that, they don't know what to do. We're fortunate enough in that we have players that can adapt and can do different things. So in the first half, we didn't try and set into any kind of pattern. We just played around them, or we tried to anyway. We tried to give it a bit longer, to be a bit quicker, to be a bit more aggressive and direct. And that took them out of the rhythm. But even in that first kind of 30 minutes, I, I did feel like in the middle of the park, they had a pace and power advantage that we were struggling to cope with. When the first goal went in, it took the air out of them a little bit, and our midfield sort of used that to grab a bit of a hold. And then when we get the second goal early in the first half, their team just fell apart. There's no belief in them at all. You you can tell, like Jim mentioned, they got a bounce against Arsenal last week, and they got a new manager in. He put them through the paces. They all got, you know, amped up for it. They went out. They played really well against Arsenal. Tonight, it's like they've remembered what happened before that. It's like they've remembered we were coached by Frank Lampard for a year. <laughs> a year. Like, no footballer deserves to go through that. Not for a week, let alone a year. And, and it was a snood, like... A snood it, band's not going to keep you away from that either, is it? A snood uh, band's not going to fix that. That's exactly it. Like, it was just, it was just horrendous to watch. They, under Lampard... They were shit and they were unwatchable. And you can't be both. If you're going to be shit, you have to at least be fun to watch. If you're going to be unwatchable, you have to be what Dyche's Burnley team were and grind out results. You can't be shit and unwatchable. And that's what they've been all season. They got a bounce last week. It's back to normal tonight. They look like a team destined for the championship. And the problem for them is that if they go down, it's very hard to see them coming back up because financially they're in a big black hole with that stadium that they have to build. There's not exactly like Jim mentioned, there's a lot of money gone into that squad and there is without question. But if you were to sell the players who are say too good for the championship, you'd sell Pickford. He's got a year left on his deal. So you might get 20 million for him. You'd sell Onana. You might get 40, 45 for him. Nobody will touch Calvert-Lewin because he's always injured. And I'm struggling. Like I'm struggling after that. Tarkovsky's a Premier League caliber centre-back, but he's 31. 
what will you get? 10 million? You're not going to replace him with a, an equal caliber player for that. You don't own Cody. You can't sell Patterson. He's part of your future. You could probably sell Michael Enko. You'd probably get 15 million for him. But you're going to have to rebuild your central defenders. You have to replace your goalkeeper, replace the left back, make up for the financial losses of not having Premier League money. Like you could see them going down, selling three or four lads and saying, we can't actually afford to spend anything because we've got to pay for this stadium. We're not getting Premier League TV money. Parachute payments are what they are, but how many like, of them have got? How many of the players have got contracts though, as well, the way, where they can have a pay cut if they get relegated? It. And so they're gonna, the best they're gonna get is to loan players out and that's the thing. to cut like, the if, wage if, bill a little bit, but they'll still be subbing the wages. Yeah, and the thing is, if you look at say Onana, right, you might sell him. If you stay up, you might get 40, 45, 50 million for him. Twenty-one, that kind of, that kind of talent, that kind of physique, that kind of aggression. But who who's to say that he doesn't have it in his contract that if they go down, he gets sold for fifteen million or twenty million? Yeah. Like this is a very stupid club, as Carragher has said, and I've said multiple times. This is the worst run club in the league by a mile. It's not even close. They're the worst run club in the league by a mile. They spend something like ninety percent of their revenue on wages, so they're running at a loss all the time. And if those players don't have have clauses in their contract, and some of them won't, some of them will not have contracts to say, if we go down, you cut your wages. Because when they were signed, Everton were a very comfortable mid-table team. Did so get, who were going places. They, they were a mid-table team who were going places in their eyes. They were yeah. about to be challenges to Liverpool and become the best. They were going to become a team that was Europa yeah. League regulars. They spent all that money. And I guarantee you the likes of Pickford, he won't go down with them. He'll, he'll insist on a transfer. But the likes of Pickford, Tarkovsky, I bet they don't have clauses that say, if we go down, you have to take a cut. Uh, Wobie's another one. They paid £40 million for him. He's got to be on big money. He's He was coming from Arsenal. He's got to be on big money. Did we get any details about what Sean Dyche's contract is? I mean, is it really, really, uh, is he being really well remunerated? Because it's I'd a be... three million bonus if he keeps them up. Okay. Okay. I, I ask because, and I, I understand that not everyone will be able to get into this level of, um, you know, scientific analysis. So, you know, don't feel bad if you can't follow me here, folks, but I feel like Sean Dyche has lost his edge. I'm looking at pictures of him here, the most recent pictures of him, and he's, his, he's got a perfectly round head. It, it's perfectly round. It's like, it's like whatever sort of hard man image Daishi used to have. It doesn't matter. I'm looking at him turning sideways. I'm looking at him head on. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to Daishi. But he started to look comfortable, is my point. And I wonder, I'm just wondering, is, uh, is, 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 is this, um, is this going to be reflected? Because uh, on a serious note, he was got in because the, t- the, the thinking was, no doubt, look, this lad, he'll, rally the troops and we'll dig deep and we'll survive by a few points and that'll do us and we reset but i think like you're saying that i think there's every danger he might be going down with them yeah and have to do the rebuilding job which there's there's an idea that he's a like you know we we hear about the likes of of allardyce and, and hodgson these 
relegation specialists who are nothing of the sort, if we're being really honest. And their track records of that is massively overblown. But Dyche has never done that. It's different at Burnley, where everything at Burnley had his fingerprints on it. Every player at Burnley was his player. These aren't his lads. None of these are his lads, other than McNeil and Tarkovsky, who left Burnley to get away from the place. These aren't his players. These aren't the type of players that he's had and been able to mould over a year, two years, three years, working with them every single day these going aren't what through he, pre-season. These don't fit in his, with his definition of what he would define as good, honest players. These aren't good, honest players in his, no, that's his, his definition of that. Like He's not looking at... Like I'd imagine he was very happy that Anthony Gordon was gone because Anthony Gordon, while he may at some point become a good player, he's not an honest player. He's a cheat. And that's not what Dyche wants. And he'll, he'll be looking around. He'll be looking at the likes of Mopey. And if you saw Mopey when he came on against Arsenal last week, he immediately got himself involved in a load of shit and started trying to wind up the Arsenal players. So there's a, there's a time and a place for that type of thing. But Dyche doesn't have patience for that when your team's one up at home, clinging to a lead against the top team in the division and you're second from bottom. He doesn't have the patience or the tolerance for that type of shit. So what does he do tonight? He leaves Mopé sat on the bench till the last couple of minutes of the game and plays a lad in Ellis Sims who, like I said, with the greatest respect, he might become a good player. He certainly looked a player at Sunderland in the championship. But tonight he got bullied by Joe Gomez. Bullied by Gomez. And Gomez <laughs> is not the type of centre-back who bullies strikers. It's not his game. But phys- physically, he was just able to bully Ellis Sims. And what got me as well was like when Dyche made the change, he put Damari Gray up front by himself rather than Mope. So that tells me he doesn't really trust Mope because mm. of the shenanigans that went on. Like Jim said, Dyche wants honest players that are going to give him 100% work to the letter of his law. And his law is different to the normal laws of the game because he's going to ask you to do certain things that are going to be uncomfortable for you, like chasing back, like putting in tackles, like when someone's taking a throw in, get right in front of them and slow them down. Different like, mo- like moving that. to the ball when you're up front on your own and yeah. things, you know, going to try and win it. Um, he, Holding and, the ball up when it comes up to you, taking a few kicks, waiting for players to come to you, get giving it and going again. And every time, like there was Everton players tonight who were, who'd play a pass and almost stand back and admire it. Mm-hmm. And he's going bananas on the sideline at them. He's just desperate for desperate for cousin Jeff and 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 Chris Wood and the likes, you know. That's exactly. I mean, cousin Jeff, he broke the Burnley transfer record for cousin Jeff. Cousin Jeff is a paint by numbers footballer with the greatest respect to the lad, most talented member of the family. <laughs> he, he's a paint by numbers footballer. He's a ones ones and twos player. He does the very basic, the very simple. He does it well, and his problem is when he tries to play beyond himself. But Dyche was the master at Burnley of making his players acutely aware of what their limitations were. And once you didn't move beyond what you were capable of, Dyche was good with you. And you could have quite a career. And a lot of guys had a very good career under him 
that maybe otherwise would not have played Premier League football. Like Ashley Barnes, very, very limited player. But he's had a long Premier League career because of Dice. Jack Cork, the same. Ben Mee is still having an extended Premier League career because of having Dice for so long. Do you know Keep what else Dice said, though, as well? Burnley, sorry, um, it just come, I'm just thinking that, you know, these players and their limitations, there was also a limitation on expectations at Burnley. They were not a, t- a team that were thinking we should be in, you know, knocking on the door of the Champions League places. We should be sitting firmly in the Europa League places. They were a team that, you know, that that was a dream, that kind of thing. That was an Jim, absolute this is not dream. a word this... of a lie. When they finished in the European places, and this is not me being funny or telling a lie, I've had this confirmed by by a local journalist who covers the club. When they finished in the European places, there was consideration given for a parade because it was such an incredible achievement to get into the Europa League spots. They finished seventh. Now, it was. It was a phenomenal achievement by them, given the budget they worked on. But that's, that's where the mindset was there. For them, a good season was 17th. But now... You know, his job now is to stop them being relegated. But still, this is a team that thinks, a club that thinks it's not meant to be all the way down here. It's meant no, to be way exactly up the it. other end. You know, the table's upside down to them. And but if we look at their team like, and be really honest about it, Michael Anko cost 20 million. McNeil was 20 million. Decoure was around 25 million. Uh, the first time they brought a Dris- bought a Drissig Ganagay, I think they paid the better part of 15 million. Onana was 30-odd. Iwobi was 40. Like, that's a lot of money. Michael Keane on the bench, he was 30. Yerry Mina was 25. Mope was the better part of 20. Godfrey was, I think, 22. Like, there's a lot of money in that, that match day squad today. Mm-hmm. A lot of money in that squad. They shouldn't be where they are. And, and yet, the problem for Dyche is that he's now having to undo a year of those players working under Frank Lampard. Like if, if he was taking over from Rafa and they were where they are, I think it's a lot easier to walk in because at least you know they'll be well drilled, they'll be well organized, they'll do the fundamentals of defending well. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Frank Lampard's idea of setting his team up to be defensive was a back eight. Just throw as many bodies at it as you can and hope for the best. No positional work, no rotational work, no spatial awareness, no fundamentals at all. So for Dyche, he's basically got to start with this team as if they've never 
played at the Premier League level before and rework them back into some sort of fundamental rudimentary shape and then build from there. And that's going to take, that could take two months, it, which would be fine if it was pre-season, but we're, you know, we're in the second half of the season here. That That's why they're in such trouble because otherwise yeah. you'd look around and you think, okay, Bournemouth, not very good. Not, not a great manager. They're probably going down. Southampton are a mess. Leeds look like a team that could go on a seven or eight game streak of losing games. They're kind of on it at the moment. You wouldn't trust Forrest because they're newly promoted. You're not going to trust Leicester because they've had such a bad season. Palace look a little bit wobbly. Wolves and West Ham are well managed and have more talent than Everton, so they'll probably get out of it. But you'd look at the rest and think there's definitely three teams there that could go down instead of us. But because of where they are right now and and what's gone on there for the last year, other than Bournemouth, I'm not sure there's anybody I'd be certain of will finish below them. Jim, the game for us started with less than stellar um, uh, sort of feel to it. Uh, If anything, the opening few minutes probably did have a bit of an Everton uh, sort of feel to it. And there was a very shaky bit of Joel Matip defending on, I think, the sixth minute, which upset uh, me deeply um, because you don't want to see this guy dismantling what he has built up. Um, Tarkovsky took out Nunes on nine minutes, um, which led to a free on the edge of the box and Tarkovsky pulling a flag down for what he would continue to do is to kick our fellas up in the air under the uh, nose of this referee uh, who just seemed to be allergic to cards. On 10 minutes, that free kick was hit straight into the wall by Mo Salah. Things not looking great. Now, Soon after that, Mo was taken out again. I think it was Tarkovsky again. And Jamie Carragher is sort of um, almost, uh, uh, it's almost must be contractual that he has to say, ah, there's nothing in that. Every time Mo, Mo gets 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 hacked down, there's nothing in that. And of course, Leon Osman on Sky rolled in behind him. We did have a chance in 17 minutes. It was a Cody Gakpo header from uh, a volleyed Darwin cross. Darwin on the left, Cody, Cody through the middle. Uh, it had been a quick throw in from Trent to Mo Salah, uh, Bacetic helped the ball across and then it was Cody's, like I say, uh, sorry, it was uh, Darwin's volley cross for Cody. Now, listen, it's not a bad chance, Jim, and probably the kid should have done better, but it would speak to a fellow who is maybe lacking in confidence in front of goal. Onana went in late on Allison on 19 and probably should have picked up a yellow for it. Darwin cut in, had a shot from distance on 20. And there was a decent bit of pressure. And, of course, the word used again and again and again by the commentary team was intensity. It was almost like they were trolling us. Uh, the crowd and the songs, I thought, at this point were really good. There was a nice buzz around Anfield. And you and I are going to take it right up to the uh, to that first goal. Hendo did ping one um, on his left uh, into on his left foot into the net. Um, but in the build-up, Trent had been offside. That was on 26 minutes. And then we get to the moment of uh, excitement. They have a corner and Tarkovsky, who's coming from the right hand side, heads the ball all the way across the face of goal and hits the far post. It comes 
back out there's a, an attempt by them that's blocked and the ball makes its way across um and eventually is passed to mo uh, to darwin who plays it to mo who plays back in Tar- darwin again he raids all the way down the left flank with tremendous pace now we've seen this a lot recently jim we've seen this exact situation and we've seen the delivery from darwin not be what we'd like it to be this time it was and mo salah um took it in his stride and in fact there was at least I think it was Cody Gakpo who was inside him again there was at least a couple of other players who were in the right area it was a lovely quick break and we had we had the numbers but Mo takes it in a stride on his right foot he half volleys at home with Jordan Pickford I I, I honestly don't know what he's doing I, I have no idea where he was going but fair play to him he's he's in the middle of nowhere and it's it's an empty net for Mo to hit the ball into it's bloody fantastic it is what we were talking about earlier on Jim a kind of a classic counter-attack Mo Salah goal Mo Salah on the sharp end of a brilliant bit of pacey football by us um but as Dave said earlier on, the re- the reality is, you know, it could have been very, very different. Mm. And on the basis of what I've just been saying there, we couldn't really argue about that too much because it's not like we were peppering their goal either. No, no. And I mean, I mean, the game did start off with the start. I mean, they won the toss to start with, you know, that's not a good sign. And um, and just for that first bit, there was that nervousness from us, that Joel Matic nervousness that, you know, I thought he'd managed to get rid of. But it, it's back and I hope he... You know, re-eradicates it again because that you know that's not the Joel that we want to see. Um, I did notice he did go on one of his adventures as the game went on. So, you know, after maybe ten minutes, we were starting to get into the game. But when I say getting into the game, it wasn't like we were getting into the game in the way that we'd have been. We'd have used that phrase a year ago. A year ago, that would have been a totally different meaning. Um, but we at least weren't sort of totally frightened of what our team was doing by this point. And um, in all honesty, actually, by you know, I actually wrote down on about twenty minutes that I'd only just realised that Ali was wearing tights or, or you know, long trousers, whatever they were, and I'd not really noticed until that point because really, for all the, you know, sort of lack of action, if you like, it, our goal was pretty quiet as well up until that point. But you know, and I, was, I think I also in the middle of that sort of around about the twenty mark, I was thinking, you know what, we've got. So much more energy than I've seen recently. I've seen us look so flat and so, and people keep saying tired. And, you know, we've sort of used that word tired so much in a way that I didn't mean tired physically, more tired as in it's old and broken. But we, we, we showed energy and we were starting to pin them back. Um, but of course, us being us, you can start to do that. You can start to see this pressure building and, and you're getting the ball. But then you think, how many actual clear-cut chances have we had? You know, how often has Pickford actually been involved? You know, we, we had a lot of the ball. It's been exciting, but we've done nothing really with it. And, of course, up they come, get a corner, hit the post. And as Dave said, as you said, could have been so different. But what I liked about the, the reaction was we it, we reacted. You know, we didn't, we didn't sort of start panicking even more because they just hit the post. We just quickly thought about what we were doing that and that counter attack was brilliant that was almost like the old front three um the way they were playing and i think one of the one of the nicest sights when i was looking at the replays was that when when darwin was ready to pass the ball across was there was actually more than one option there waiting for the ball so if he would have scuffed his, his cross a little bit if he hadn't quite got his pass to come through properly there was a chance for someone else to be there and i think that's what pickford was thinking pickford was thinking um cody's going to get this the, you know it's mo's going to leave it he's going to go to gapo i'll be clever i'll i'll catch them out but mm-hmm. no 
Um, and another thing as well is the way we've been playing lately is, even with that kind of pretty much open goal that, that Pickford had, had given to Mo, the way Mo's been playing lately, it would have just gone just wide, wouldn't it? You know, the, this, this, um, confidence thing I've been talking about has been through the, from front to back of the team. They've just been lacking in it. You know, even in games where we've seen Ali not looking his best, tonight Mo was looking much more like Mo Salah. I mean, there were still some moments where he wasn't, but he was looking much more like it. And I think that's that. That to me was one of the most heartening things about that. Was yeah, I was thinking, oh my god, <laughs> you know, they've hit the post. This this was inevitable. We've had the pressure. We've, we've they've sort of turned the game against us. I wouldn't say either side did, would have deserved to have been in front at that point, and it, it would have been wrong to say it would have been um, undeserved for Liverpool to be behind. But neither side had done enough to deserve to be in front, and. Yeah, it's worrying that we can still have those moments. And this is the thing we've got to take from this. I really enjoyed that win tonight. I'm really happy about the win tonight. I'm really happy about that goal. I mean, the way we did it so quickly, that's the way that you can put fear into opponents. And that makes them less brave about playing against you as well. You know, when they know that you can be that dangerous, they're a little bit less brave against you. And that helps you as well. Whereas lately, you know, teams could be brave against us because we've been hopeless going forward. But that's the thing you've got to get. Um, you've got to sort of have some reality of what, what we are like and say, look, you know, by all means dwell on the positives tonight, but tomorrow there's still some lessons to be learned and some stuff to be spoken about and some tweaks to be made. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that just the nice thing was that that way we broke. I mean, that felt like old Liverpool the way we did that. But again, it kind of felt like older Liverpool the way that, you know, we almost let them in after being, I would say, pretty much getting to be in control of the game up until that point. It's very interesting you mentioned that, and I might just bounce that as a kind of a segue to go over to Dave just to get his thoughts in the first half and finish it out. So, I mean, what happened for the rest of the half in terms of, 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 of incidents, nothing really of note. Some decent pressure by us on the 40 minute mark. Tarkovsky should probably get a yellow for a tackle on Henderson, the 43. And Bacetic, I've noted here at the end of the first half was absolutely tremendous in almost everything he did. Um, but Dave, it's an interesting point that Jim raises there. And I, I well, I, uh, maybe it's my interpretation of what Jim was saying, but there is possibly a, 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 an alternative world where how we rescue this season isn't necessarily by suddenly becoming defensively solid and not having those moments, but rather by the fact that Cody Gakpo can now score and Mo Salah gets back in the goals and Darwin Nunes perhaps gets amongst the goals. We could have a kind of a early clap era. Well, look, we'll just fucking score more than you type of approach to the end of the season, which I have to say, given what we've seen for the first half, I wouldn't be opposed to. I do agree, but I, I do think it needs to start with like, it needs to start with us not conceding the first goal. Mm. We need to be setting a standard for ourselves where we're not going to just concede the first goal and play from a goal behind as we did for practically an entire year. That needs to stop and, and there needs to be a lot more focus. The mindset needs to improve. But yeah, I mean, the problem with that, Trev, is that when we used to do that, we did it by running over teams. Now, Yes, we can run over teams with Mo and with Darwin and with Jota and with Diaz when he comes back. But we also did it with Ox and with Henderson, with Emery Chan, with Ginny Wijnaldum, with 
these dynamic midfield players who could just get up and go. We don't have any midfield players like that anymore. I mean, Henderson's still at the club, but he's not the same player anymore. So, uh, yes, we can we can hit teams on the counter and score goals like we did today. Off, you know, the first one is a, is a counter attack from a set piece against us. The second one is a turnover and a quick one-two, and then we're away to the races. But in order to score those goals, you also need to be strong defensively. You need to be able to clear your lines defensively. You need to be able to invite a bit of pressure on. And you, in order to, you know, to be comfortable inviting pressure on, you have to be good defensively. So I, I do think we can find a balance here. I don't think we necessarily need to go as defensive as, say, we did against City um, in in the, probably our best league performance of the season. But at the same time, that type of approach is something that will work against the better teams. Against the the dross, as, as Cy Brundish would call them, of which Everton are, you know, a founding member uh, of the Premier League dross, I think... I think just being a little bit braver is the key. Just a little bit braver in terms of the decisions players make on the ball. Like for Andy Robertson today with that second goal, when he gives the ball to Henderson, it would have been very easy for him to make a run out wide and and wait for some play to develop and then come back to him in a crossing position. But instead he makes the central run, takes the ball back, and runs at the heart of them. Yeah. And that's the type of thing that our players need to do a little bit more of. Make those brave decisions. That's you a really that's a really good segue. I, I like where you're going. It's a really good segue to get into the second goal, which we will do in a second, you and I, talking about the start of the second half. But you've brought up a point and an adjective that we might as well just pause now and have a word about this kid. Because you've pretty much defined what, Stefan Bacetic was this evening, which is incredibly ballsy in the way that he played the match. Um, whether or not you want to make qualification statements about, you know, how um, good or otherwise Everton were in that particular department, this is a fella who really stepped up um, in a way that isn't hype or uh, one-off or he stepped up in a way that just showed that He's he's walking around the Merseyside derby and he is the best midfield player on the, on park. the pitch by a, that, by a considerable margin and and as a, and, margin. and as a result honestly the best player on the pitch because there was no particularly outstanding defensive or attacking performance I mean we saw lovely bits from Cody from Darwin and from Mo but as as a result he's the best player on the pitch yeah and and I, I think that's like. It's 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 too easy to sort of breeze past that. That's that's an outrageous achievement for that kid at that time because it talks, it speaks to his bravery. It speaks to his ability first, but it speaks to his bravery and mentality. You, you see, know, you, you see what I'm talking about. He's turning into and out of dangerous yeah. positions, and he backs himself. He's every demanding time. the ball under pressure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know what it is, Trev. It's not his ability that stood out to me tonight because that came later. What stood out to me tonight was in that first half, they clearly targeted him a little bit because he's young. Let's rattle him. Let's get in late a couple of times on him. Let's leave a little bit on him. And he found himself on the ground probably three or four times in the first, 
half hour or so yeah. where somebody was just a little bit late getting to him or somebody jumped into him going for an aerial ball and just put a little bit of extra on him. And he didn't whinge. He didn't moan to the referee. He just got up and got on with it. Yeah, he just got and up. And that to me is massive because we see other players, not necessarily talking about Liverpool players here, but we see other players, they get put in their arse a couple of times and they're whinging to the ref. And everything's all ref, you know, they're kicking me ref, they're kicking, he didn't care. He just thought, okay, you're going to kick me, fair enough. And he left a little bit in on one or two of them. You know, there was a tackle in the first half over on the touchline in front of the dugouts where Onana flung himself into it and Bastic flung himself in as well. Yeah, two-footed. Like, yeah, it was yeah, great. You, yeah, you're in two-footed. I'll go in two-footed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might be bigger. You might be stronger. You might be a little bit, you know, more physical at this point. But I'm not afraid of you. You can't get to me. That's the thing you're saying. Is that's that you can't exactly get to it. Me. And that—that's what impressed me more. Like the some of the some of the passing that he displayed in the second half was outrageous. Like the confidence to just roll his studs over the ball. It was it was a little bit Thiago esque, a little bit Alonso esque, but. What really impressed me was number one, the the mentality, the just the the unflappable nature of this kid is unbelievable. But secondly, in, in that first half, I thought Fabinho and Henderson really struggled for the first half an hour, and I thought they were a little bit all over the place in terms of their position. And he was just sweeping over and back behind them. He almost had like this roving detail. Like if Henderson pushes up, forget about Fabinho covering across. You just go and cover across if you think that's what needs to be done. And at times we had a little bit of a double pivot where he was on the right of that with Fab to his left. And you would have been mistaken for thinking he was playing the six and Fab was playing the eight. Yeah, I agree with you. He was a bit of a pretendy eight. He yeah, was, he was. He was. He was just. He was doing a bit was, of everything. He as, was Ginny as, as Jim said earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, yeah. was what Ginny Wijnaldum was brilliant at. Yeah. And I do think that tonight, like we've all been impressed by him thus far, but we've also all been a little bit soft on him because he is 18, and we have overlooked some very poor defensive decisions, some poor positional work. As an eight, I'm sorry, as a six, as a strict six. But tonight, as that sort of roving six, that secondary six, who, you know, that, like you said, a fake eight, the way Ginny played it, with more freedom to to drop in and sort of read and react to what the opposition was doing as opposed to trying to anticipate it, that suited him so much better. And as good as he was on the ball tonight, he was levels above off the ball. Defensively, he was phenomenally good. And he gave that platform for the 29-year-old and the 32-year-old to grow into the game. And I thought both of them went on and had solid games. I wouldn't say either was was good or very good, but they were, they were solid. They were six, six and a half out of ten, which is all we needed them to be because that kid was, a, was an eight and a half to nine out of ten. I will disagree with you on one thing, though, Trev. I thought Trent had a very good game at right back, and I thought Joe Gomez had a very, very good game. Now, for Joe, it's you're kind of grading him on a curve against himself. He's been quite poor this season. But I did think tonight he stepped up really, really well. I thought he was aggressive. I thought he was front-footed, very, very calm, read everything well, used the ball well. 
I thought those two, Trent and Joe, really stepped up. I thought Matip was improved from the Wolves' performance, but I mean, barring you know shitting himself visibly on the pitch, he would have been better than Wolves. And and Robbo, I thought tonight had a had a solid game, more going forward than defensively because he had very little to do. But I mean, he he he'd run uh, Bastic close from out of the match purely on the. Um, the the volume of piss that he managed to boil among <laughs> Everton's players and fans yeah. just for kicking the ball away. Tremendous. But yeah, I mean, we should that that kid he like he's eighteen years of age, and he's just walked into his first Merseyside derby and had a look around and thought, yeah, none of these are better than me. I'm just mm. going to run this game. I'm just going to stay here, and then I'm going to run the game from here, and then I'm going to go over there. And I'm going to take the ball off you from there, and I'm going to give it to that guy all the way across there, and I'm going to do whatever I want. And there's nothing, nothing any of you can do to stop me. I would say though, kudos to Klopp for putting him in tonight because the game it is, you know, it's a massive game, the derby. It's it's a it's a cauldron. It's sort of, you know, it feels like the eyes of the world are on you. And that would have been it. Would have been easy for Klopp to say, right, I'm sticking you on the bench for this one because I've got Milner, I've got Cater, who could either of them, even Elliot, you know, I've got other options that I'm going to I'm going to move you away from this one, move you out the spotlight, but instead he's put him in. And that game tonight for him will be worth so much in his actual development as a player because tonight he got the chance to try and see what he can do, you know, to use his abilities and use his experience he's had so far to to try things. And the and the things he tried came off. Um, the play that I thought of at times with some of his crossfield passing, and that was Jan Mulby. He, he was that kind of player that you think, oh my God, this is going to be some player. And, you know, kudos to Klopp, because this is the kind of decision that, you know, if we've been critical of Klopp this last, say, six months or so, um, one of the words that people have been using is predictable, saying that, you know, it's predictable, he makes the subs at the same time every game and so on and so forth. You know, and it would have been predictable to just move him out of this game, you know, take him out of the spotlight just for this one game, and he didn't. And I think, you know, this is what Klopp is about, is not being safe and predictable so this is what, you know, another little tiny nugget of hope for this season. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout.
Yeah, well, we'll grab all of them and make them into a little pile and uh, and and hope <laughs> hope to hoard them, Jim. And like, why don't you and I just talk about up as far as say where Diogo Jada comes on in the second half? Um, it starts very well, obviously, with a, with a Cody Gakpo goal, and you can come back and talk to me about that in a second, just to, for the benefit of anyone who didn't see it. Um, Dave mentioned earlier on that break from Robbo where he basically drove in centrally, which we've seen him do on so many occasions to great effect. Um, plays the ball onto Mo, who helps it on to Trent, and Trent's slightly deflected low center from the right is tapped in at the back post by Cody Gakpo arriving from that sort of left side. Um, there was a query about VAR, and thankfully it was allowed to stand because it's a massive moment for that kid, massive moment potentially for Liverpool's season. Um, because if we do get Cody Gakpo in any of the form that Cody Gakpo is in before we sign them, well, we're a different looking proposition. Uh, on 54 minutes, there was another opportunity. Mo plays in uh, Hendo down the right-hand side, and it's a terrible sort of neither cross nor shot when there are actually at least two to aim at inside him. Um, Iwobi has a token effort on 55. I don't know if that that's their first shot. Um, Bacetic, uh throwing himself around, you know, just basically launching himself two-footed into space ahead of the ball to block it on 57, which was a bit one of my highlights. On uh, Again, on 57, Mo played in Darwin Nunes on quite a narrow angle, to be fair. Darwin sort of coming from that right to that right-hand side post. Um, and he has an effort and a follow-up effort, uh, uh, both of which are blocked at that near post. Another fantastic crossfield ball by Bacetic on 60 minutes and on 61, uh, he, old Daichi has to admit his his um, his mistake and takes off. Poor Ellis, who had a bad night, um, brings on Damari Gray. Uh, not exactly a statement of intent, you'd have to say, considering you know they're down and uh, not just one goal down. Uh, on 61 minutes, again, uh, I, I, like just to be to be critical, I think we've been very kind to Daisy tonight. I think you know to be critical, that's a weird decision with Mope on the bench, unless it is that sort of uh, conspiracy theory Dave raised earlier on, where he's just like not a great fella. On 61 minutes, a great burst of pace and carry by Cody Gakpo. Really, you could see what the goal had done to him. He's transformed. Mm. He plays the ball into Darwin Nunes. Darwin shoots narrowly wide in a kind of Thierry Henry style coming and cutting back onto his right foot um, coming from that left side and kind of curls it. Um, I wish, I just wish Darwin could start hitting barn doors. On 63 minutes, there's a token Mo effort. 66, Cody finally gets a yellow card from that referee's pocket for taking out Bacetic. Mikolenko then assaults Mo a couple of minutes later on the, on the, on the touchline. Nah, nothing. Um, because it's Mo Salah. And then on around the 70 minute mark, we bring on, uh, Diogo Jota to much acclaim from, uh, the, uh, ground for Darwin Nunes. Uh, Darwin got his his plaudits, but everyone delighted to see Jota back in the mix. Anything about that opening section of the half you want to mention there, Jim? Um, if you want to go back to the goal as well. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely. I mean, the the VAR moments. I thought this had this this was starting to wipe the smile off um, off Gakpo's face because the smile on his face. He was he was so happy with that goal. It wasn't, you know, it sort of. I mean, strikers. That's that's what the that's what the judge done. They can do so much. I mean, as you've just mentioned with with Darwin, they can do so much in and around the game. They can create goals. They can they can 
disrupt defenders and, and make things happen that lead to goals. But what the judge done is the actual goals to get themselves, and that that's playing heavily on him. You could tell um, each game that went on, it, it, there was almost a sign that it was gonna that it was starting to hang over him that he'd not got that first goal. But once it went in, the the look on his face, you could just tell it meant so much to him. I mean, it was. You know, it, it wasn't the celebration, you know, where you get these plays with the practice celebrations. This was just out and out joy. And then a little bit of a moment of worry as the VAR waited. Um, and it probably took a while because they're probably thinking, how on earth did Cody, uh, the other Cody, Connor Cody, let that go by him? Um, he just watched it going into the net by the looks of it. Um, watched it going by him and then, and then Gapo was just there waiting. Um, and that, that, that then, as you say, Nunez, um, he was the sort of recipient of that wonderful um, dribble from Gakpo because he'd now got the full confidence. And um, I was starting to see that, I think, earlier on in the game, before before kickoff, we didn't talk much about the Liverpool line. But one of the questions would be, which way are the front three going to line up? And would you have Cody out wide and Nunes in the middle, as you kind of would have expected? That didn't happen. But tonight, I mean, certainly by that point of the game, it was working to have... Nunez out, out wide, Cody in the middle, and seeing him run through the middle like that, um, you know, the, these are good. These are all good signs. And then um, the, the 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 referee had sort of found his cards by now, hadn't he? He got, um, I think he booked two plays, but the the foul counter, I can't remember what it was at this point. In the first half, it was something like thirteen fouls to four, and most of them were cynical fouls. That on another day, you'd have seen a yellow for that, you know, breaking up attacks and things like that. Yep. Um, and for some reason, the referee, who, for whatever, I don't know why this is. I, when I look at him, I keep thinking for a split second that it's Steve McMahon. Now, I don't know why, <laughs> but once you've got that in your head, it's hard to get out. And, you know, Merseyside Derby of all the people, um, yeah. to be the referee. But yeah, he, he, for some reason, I just don't, I just don't get the ref. He was given a lot of fouls. Normally in, uh, in the Derby, you kind of let fouls go. Um, you know, if you're going to let, if you're not going to do, if you're not going to give many bookings out, it's because you've not given many fouls, you've let things go and he didn't. Um, he say he did give all these fouls, but just didn't give the cards. But, um, I think just rounding that off though, that Jota was back, that it, again, Anfield lifted, you know, Anfield lifted when, when Gakpo got his goal. There was such delight for that. And then when Jota came on, another level of delight again, because. Yeah. I just thinking back to the despair we had before the World Cup when Jota was gone, and then um, in the weeks that followed when when Diaz went, and um, then Nunez is picking up injuries, and Salah's not himself, and it felt like you know if if this was the end of the world, this was why all our strikers were were going away from us, and it felt tonight that maybe maybe it's just that, re- that that little reverse, and I think that was the feeling coming out of of the crowd tonight was <laughs> fucking hell, we're getting our strikers back, and. You know, in more ways than one. Salah with his form coming back, maybe. Nunez showing such desire, at least, to, to set things up. Um, our new boy Gapo getting on the goals, and now he's jotted about to come back on. It's it's good, um, and that's another nugget for us, isn't it? Yeah, and a little bit of Bobby sauce later on as well. Uh, Jim, you and I will finish uh, uh, next time I chat to you with your final thoughts. You'll be thinking about whatever wrap-up ideas you want. Uh, Dave, you and I will finish the match now, and then I'll wrap up the whole show with you. But uh, in terms of what's left in the second half, it's very bitty from here on in um, because it does start to get broken up by substitutions. Um, decent Rob will run in 72 minutes, but nothing really to, to, to recommend across. It's a bit too deep. 76 minutes, they bring on Mope and Davies uh, for Onana and McNeil. 
uh, Gakpo's thrown down in 78 minutes nothing for that 78 minutes as well we bring on Bobby and Jim Milner for uh, Gakpo and Henderson uh, and on 80 there's a decent Iwobi ball over Trent's head at the back post and Davies has a good opportunity and should do better I'm not saying he should bury it but he should probably bury it uh, it's a decent opportunity for them and if, you know a goal goes in on 80 it's a whole rattled atmosphere and nobody wants that but it was a little bit of a little bit of an alarm bell I thought in terms of the just a run off the shoulder and you know we need to start learning our lesson you mentioned that earlier on like you know whatever about you know any theories of it scoring outscoring opposition like make it simpler for yourself by making sure they don't get too many um 81, there was a great interception by Man the Match, Bacetic, and a great carry. And I think there was a little bit too little pace on his ball into Mo, and it kind of slowed Mo down a little bit, and his shot ends up being deflected over by Tarkovsky. Ducouré gets a yellow on 83. Robbo, one of the moments in the match, winding up the whole Everton team, um, followed that by... That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's just great crack. I, 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 and it's just because he's literally, it's just because he's laughing. At, he's laughing at Pickford. And to be fair to Pickford, he had kind of let it go. He laughs as well. Connor Cody kicks he, it all off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cody Col- kicks it off, and then and then Seamus Coleman gets involved, as if he's not some little fella from Kitty Beggs. Like, set yourself down, lad. <laughs> Do you yeah. know, yeah. Your, your ancestors were fishermen. They weren't. They weren't fighters. Like, set yourself down. Um, I didn't understand. Like, I, I under. I do understand Everton players, especially the likes of Cody and Coleman, who are like that bit older, more experienced. They're they're probably sick to the back teeth of losing games. But I mean, you would think they'd be used to it at this point in their careers. But those two get so riled up. Robbo's laughing. Pickford's laughing. Do you know, there's, there's, if, if anybody has a right to be annoyed, it's Robert, it's Robbo from Pickford clattering into him, but Robbo just laughs, Pickford laughs. They're having a bit of banter. The two boys get involved for no reasons. All of our lads obviously steam in, their lads steam in. But what I loved was like when it moved over towards the touchline and Virgil just walks over and just starts like shoving their lads back out of the way. And Coleman, you can see his brain ticking over thinking like, He's a lot bigger than me, but I can't back down here. So he's still chirping away. Costas comes out of nowhere, says something to Onana. Onana seems to lose all sense and reason. What he's doing there, I don't know, because he's been subbed off. Costas strolls back, mouthing at somebody. Onana's marching up the touchline with security. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to lead somewhere else. It was just, and Virgil's just shoving their lads away. Like, really kind of dismayed look on his face as in like what are you thinking I was expecting Darwin to go in two footer on someone I really Darwin was. appeared at some point <laughs> and, and tried to get involved as well. I was just it was brilliant all because Andy Robertson laughed at Jordan Pickford but Pickford to his credit laughed back like Robbo just seemed to find the whole thing and, and Robbo then seemed bemused but even when when the referee called Robbo back, because Mil- Milner came and got Robbo, like like a dad coming to get his young fella from school, drags him back up the pitch. And then the referee comes over, brings Pickford over. He's having to go with him. He's waving Robbo back. And as Robbo's walking back, Pickford is saying to Robbo something along the lines of, I don't know why he's making such a big deal of this. And the ref is just stood there like a prick with a yellow card in his hand. Robbo and Pickford are talking, laughing still. 
and he boxed ball with him and all over nothing. Just let the game go. Yeah, yeah, let neither. The game go. Yeah, neither of them did anything really that warranted a card at that stage because it was just it, it, whatever uh, potential yellow was 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 disarmed by the two lads laughing at each other, and and it's just it was just silliness. The only other things of note, I thought. Uh, in those last couple of minutes, there was actually a really decent bit of play by Bobby Firmino, uh, sort of classic Firmino bit of play. He plays in Mo Salah, uh, who cuts in and um, shoots, but it's saved. And there was some fantastic Divock Origi chance to add to the Rafa chance early on, then towards the end. And uh, there was an opportunity for Milner to do something useful uh, in the very, very last minute, but um, he couldn't find Jota uh, at the death. And we had brought on Harvey Elliott and Naby Keita for Bacetic and Mo so that the two lads could get their plaudits as well um, anything else in that chunk of the match that you wanted to pick out Dave uh, or nah no there was a couple of things earlier in the, the section you covered with Jim um, after Gakpo got his goal you could you could just almost see him walk around a foot taller you know Coming deep, receiving the ball, holding a man off, rolling that man and, and running at their defense. And he, he had that one lovely near assist for, for Darwin, where if Darwin just catches that ball a little bit cleaner, it curls into the top corner. He, he seemed once that goal, when it, it just seemed like a weight lifted off him and he scored the goal he celebrates. And I don't know if you saw when they obviously went to the VAR, but when the VAR came back and said it's a goal and the ref signaled for a goal, Gakpo let out this almost like primal scream. Yeah, notice that. Do you know? Yeah. And it was like this massive burden was lifted off him. Yeah. And I thought from for about fifteen minutes after that, I thought he was I thought he was actually the best player in the park for about fifteen minutes after that. And he was really starting to get involved and show what he can do in that sort of you know, a little bit deeper kind of position. And I, I, I said this on a recent pod I did um, with with one of the lads off Grizz's uh, YouTube channel um, with Evan. I think long-term, right, po- in the post-Mo Salah world, whenever that may be, I think we're looking at a 4-2-3-1 where Gakpo plays behind Darwin with Diaz on the left and it's, he brings the subtlety and that kind of calmness to the madness of Darwin and Diaz. I, I just think if you think of the Bayern team or the, the, sorry, the Dortmund team that Klopp had and you try and move players in, like you look at what, what Kagawa used to do for Klopp, that real, like a diminutive playmaker. Now, Gakpo's not diminutive by any stretch, but he doesn't really play his size. He plays like a guy a lot smaller than him. And I just think if you can bring the calmness and the, and the technical level that he has, which is really, really high, and you can marry that with Darwin as a one-up, one-off type, I think that's where you'll eventually get the most out of him is playing off a of Darwin with an outlet like Diaz. And even if, like, it might well be Salah still on the right wing, it could be somebody else in time. But that, to me, starts to make a lot of sense. And then if Bellingham arrives and Basetic develops and we add another one or two in midfield and Thiago's still knocking around, all of a sudden you start to get a 4-2-3-1 that might be 
that might be something really special. So I, I thought for Gakbo tonight, a huge night to get his goal. And then, like I say, I thought there was probably 15 minutes or so where I thought he was the best player on the pitch. And that was really promising because he has looked a little bit lost at times. He's come into a, a team playing poorly tonight as we had a bit more confidence and a bit more about ourselves. I thought he started to show what he could do. And I think that's hugely promising for us. Sure is. Let's bring this home, Jim. Final thoughts from you and any um, heads up for anything that's coming up from you in the near future? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I mean, just, just, I mean, Everton don't want my advice, but my advice to Dice, if he wants it and he won't want it, is he's got to stop that club blaming everybody else for their problems because that's what they've done for 30 years. They've blamed everybody else. They've got to fix their own problems. They've got to sort out their own issues. And um, the only reason I'm mentioning that is not because I'm that bothered about Everton, but because I'm bothered about us. And I've seen it, you know, this last few weeks before we've had this win tonight that, you know, there's so much stuff being said and so much blame being thrown around. And one of the things I kind of saw was this sort of um, response that was sort of like, Man City have got all the money. Chelsea have come in. They've now got money. Newcastle have now got money. There's nothing we can do. You know, we should be glad for what we've had, that kind of thing. Look, you know, you you can't give up. You can't blame everybody else. You can't sit back and think we'll never win anything then because they've got all the money. You've got to do your best with the money you can get your hands on. Look at changing how you're getting your money. Look at fighting the football authorities, which maybe the Premier League might finally be showing some signs of being able to be for, but we'll see. But that's the thing is we've not got to become like them and blame everything on everybody else. Let's fix what we can. And, you know, those signs tonight are good. You know, there's, there's a reminder there of what we can be. But obviously there's still stuff to do. We need to fix what we can fix now. And we need to really plan for what we can fix in the summer. Um, the one thing we're all sort of guilty of doing from time to time is we see a really good first 11 that's really, really working well together. And we can almost sort of name almost a first 11, maybe not quite at the minute. But the thing is, in a season, you don't have one first 11. You have lots and lots of 11s that come and play games for, you know, lots of 16s, that, you know, lots of five subs that come on in a game and, and, and change games or keep you in games. So we need to, you know, we need to strengthen. So there's lots... You know, there's lots still to do. We can't forget all this stuff we've been saying in the last few weeks. As a club, we still need to fix things. We've still got a lot of long-term work to do. But I think it's it's just so encouraging that tonight we saw those signs of what we can be. You know, we've. I think we can all agree that we're not a title-winning side at the moment. You know, even if you sort of started again now on zero points, we would not be winning the league this season. You know, if we if we we all went back to zero points from here onwards, but. You know, we've got the foundations there of one that could go back to being that, and let's hope we can work on it. Um, it's the derby, and I'm made up with it, and that's that's something that I think um, hopefully you'll get when we come to do our next Scouts of Tommy's, which we're going to record later in the week. We'll obviously go big on the derby because, you know, no matter how bad things are for Liverpool, there's always Everton, and I thought that had stopped last week, but no, it's definitely here. And if you want to listen to the Scouts of Tommy's that we did last, it's well worth a listen, even if just... Um, I think one of my favourite bits is when Tony Evans is explaining um, what people in Liverpool do think of fans from outside of Liverpool. You know, this sort of attitude of um, local fans hating non-local fans is, is... Well, let Tony explain it better than me. It's not... It's not the way it's sometimes made out to be on social media. Nothing like that. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a good person, you'll you'll get liked here just like you would with anyone. So, you know, listen to Tony on that. Listen to Jay as well. Loads of that. Um, but yeah, that's me. That's me. 
fantastic. Uh, actually, uh, I, I heartily, heartily agree with you there. It's, a, it's an interesting topic uh, and a recurring one. Um, Dave, final thoughts from yourself and any um, heads up for people about what's coming from you as well. Yeah, just the usual two footed every day, daily red every day. There's uh there's rumors that myself and yourself could be recording a a buzz tomorrow, so we'll see how that plays out. There's a few other bits and bobs. They'll be scouted as well with Carl for uh for Newcastle. And you know, as far as today, I, I just think a win is a win is a win. Um we should be very, very happy to have won a game, especially against that lot because it serves two purposes. It, it gets us three points and sends them further towards a season or two in the championship. Um, again, we didn't, we didn't, it wasn't vintage Liverpool, but it was certainly much improved Liverpool. I think the biggest thing to take from today, there was no moments of self-sabotage, which we've seen a lot of over the last six, seven weeks or however long since the World Cup break. We didn't give them anything. We didn't let them have anything, which is something we have done. Um, I thought certain players showed big improvements. I thought most players, to be fair, showed big improvements on what we've seen late. They weren't all necessarily good. Like Joel Matip, I don't think, had a good game, but I thought he was okay. Same as Henderson and Fabinho, improved on what, what they've shown recently. I thought Gomez was a lot better, and I I do think... If Virgil comes back in, Joe has probably made a case tonight that it's him who should partner him. At least an Ibu comes back. Thought both fullbacks looked a lot more like themselves and Robbo Boyle and all the blue piss was, is just, it may, it's one of the great Derby highlights now, to be fair, because it was just so unnecessarily funny. Um, but yeah, the, the, the highlight really is that kid in midfield. Uh, he was just so far beyond what you should expect an 18 year old to be. At this point in their career, fearless, dogged, so intelligent, like levels and levels above in terms of his intelligence. You don't normally see an 18-year-old with any type of awareness. Normally, you put an 18-year-old in the team and they're like a dog chasing a car. They know that they want to chase the car. They fuck all idea what they'll do if they ever catch that car. But by fuck, they're going to chase the car. <laughs> like you watch, you watch Harvey, not to pick on him, but you watch Harvey defensively as a 19, 20-year-old, and then watch Stefan and watch the difference in them defensively. One of them has an elite awareness of what he's trying to do, and the other one is trying his damnedest just to get close to the ball. And I think that's that's what's going to separate him from a lot of others in his age group. I thought Darwin had a really good game. I thought he just looked like such a menace to them as well. A couple of good cross-field balls as well, which were nice to see. Um, and obviously just the, the setup for the goal is brilliant. If anyone can tell me what Jordan Pickford was doing though, uh, I would really appreciate because I've watched that goal seven or eight times now and I still have no fucking clue what he was doing because even if Salah doesn't get to it, like Gakpo's right there. So if Salah doesn't get it, Gakpo's getting it, but Pickford is heading out beyond Gakpo. He's making a beeline for the tunnel. I, I'd love to know if anyone can explain that to me. Uh, fair play. But so thanks to Pickford for yet another, um, <laughs> another Pickford moment in a derby. He, he's built, he's almost Div Okarigi levels in terms of notable derby moments that helped the Reds. Yeah. 
For sure. Uh, as regards myself, uh, tomorrow, myself and Jan are doing Malby on the Spot. We're going to record that around midday. And yes, indeed, myself and Dave are going to do a show if we can find a slot in the afternoon uh, on Banshees of Inna Sharon and Collie Farrell and Brendan Gleeson and all that good stuff. Are you going to, uh, do you like it or hate it? I loved it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the that spoiler is yeah the two of us <laughs> the two of us are going to be saying really good things about it. so if you if you're wanting to do a hate listen feel free um that's what's coming from me if you have an opportunity to listen to Jim Boardman or Dave Hendrick doing podcasting then you should be doing that and if you are not what is wrong with you uh the lads always bring something interesting to whatever uh, format they're operating within so make sure that you're doing that uh, we will be back to you we roll on now to Newcastle very soon unfortunately i won't be around for that because i'm having a rare holiday uh i will be back for real madrid and for the rest of the season um so do keep your ears peeled for whatever's coming out from like i say the two lads you know there's a couple of shows coming from me and uh on raw i'll be back with you for real and some uh, worthy worthy substitute will be standing in uh, for newcastle so from me and the lads until then good luck We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.